All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Well for Goodness Sake podcast. It has been a hot minute, hasn't it? (laughs) I think this is the second time that I have gone a full two weeks plus some without podcasting, without recording. It's not because I am not excited or that I just lost interest or wasn't as on fire for this amazing journey of studying the Bible, but just life happened, honestly. I went through a miscarriage a few months ago and we still have a little one that's not sleeping through the night, so mama's up a lot. (laughs) And we just found out a few weeks ago that I am pregnant with baby number three. So yes, if you are on my podcast, you are one of the few, because we have not announced it yet, the few special people who get to find out about it in advance. So don't post anything on social because we're not blasting it out there yet. It's just way too early, but you could definitely keep me and the baby in your prayers and our family. And we just appreciate that so much. So how have you guys been doing? It feels like it's been way too long. (laughs) It feels like it's been forever. I'm very glad to be back with all of you. I hope that you're doing wonderful. Um, I'm just as excited about Leviticus as I was about Genesis and the book of Exodus. Today we're headed into Leviticus. This is podcast episode number 13. This is season two and episode three, which means it's the third episode of 66 Days Through the Bible Book. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible and also the third book of the Pentateuch or Torah. So we're headed deep into that book. It's incredibly difficult to read (laughs) or listen to if you use an app. So God bless if you've taken the time to get through Leviticus. It's a super tough read, but it is full of how God provides for his chosen nation and for us again and again. He makes the way. He prepares the way for them. He shows the way. He is the way, the only way. So there's a lot of truth there. And even though it's a tough read, it's an excellent, excellent book of the Bible. Highly recommend that you try to get through it at some point if you have not read that in a while, especially after today's podcast episode because of all the resources and the time to study and all of that. It really does help to break the book down and help you to understand some key elements. So I'm excited to share that with you all today. I'm going to start by opening in a word of prayer before we get started here today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to hear from you today from the book of Leviticus, a crazy hard read. Thanks for helping me get through that. (laughs) Thank you for time to sit down. I didn't have a chance to tell the listeners yet that both of my kids are asleep. I was going to spend time with my older one and I had just texted my husband to ask him to watch the kids tonight so I could record this. And then I found the oldest asleep instead of being lively and awake and ready to do a project with mommy. So here I am. Thank you for the time, Father God, to record this episode for my listeners. Thank you for the time to get in your word and really thank you for the grace and the stamina to get through the book of Leviticus. (laughs) You were there with me the whole time and you just opened my eyes and my heart. And I pray that you do the same for the listeners today, for family, for friends. Open our hearts and minds as we dive into the book and learn all about you. We love you, Father God. And it's all because of you. Amen. Now, before we get into the book of Leviticus, I ended Exodus talking a little bit about how I was going to be offering an episode on God's character. And I'm still going to do that. That's probably going to be episode 14. It's just a regular podcast episode on the Well for Goodness Sake podcast. It will not be part of the 66 days, but it's kind of going to be in addition to some of the information that we pulled in the book of Exodus because we learned a lot about God's merciful, compassionate character. And so we're going to kind of pick apart that verse in Exodus in the next podcast episode. So stay 
stay tuned for that. But I also told you I was going to try to find more information on Moses' mother. Guess what? There is not a lot out there. But before you get too disappointed, her name was Jochebed. She has her name only, literally found only two times in the entire Old Testament, according to the King James Version. And the first verse that she's listed in is Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. And if you're not looking for Jochebed, you might miss if you're reading quickly to learn about Pharaoh and all the Israelites exiting out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. You might miss the one verse where it mentions Jochebed's name, and that's in Exodus 6.20. And this is the King James Version, and it says, And Amram took him, Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife. And she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. So her name's mentioned there, and then she's mentioned one more time in Numbers 26.59. And it says, And the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt. And she bare unto Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. And of course, Miriam is also mentioned later near the Nile River when Moses is in the basket. So Amram, Jochebed's husband, Moses' father, is found 13 times in the King James Version. Jochebed was a Levite. She hid Moses for about three months, according to scripture and according to tradition of Levites in that time, before setting him afloat in a basket made of bulrushes and putting him on the Nile River. And the actual placement, according to scripture, is among the reeds in the bulrush basket. She is exponentially important and instrumental in preserving Moses' life, not just as his mother, feeding him, nurturing, bonding, caring for, providing those necessities. You know, they need to sleep, they need to eat, they can't do things for themselves when they're tiny babies. But she also has this amazing role in saving him from certain death, which also means she plays a key role and is an element of this newly emerging nation's preservation from treacherous death, right? Faye was trying to kill all of the male infants. So I mentioned hoping when we were studying Exodus, I was like telling you guys, I hope that this was an act of faith. And I did find a verse that really seems to point towards a specific type of faith over fear that follows Moses throughout his life. So I believe scripture's teaching that Jochebed and her husband acted out of faith when Moses was born. So here's the key verse about faith over fear and her actions of putting him on the Nile River and then that faith that kind of follows Moses throughout his life. And that scripture verse is Hebrews chapter 11 and the verses are 23 through 29. I'm going to read 23 first and it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So that's clearly telling us they were not afraid and they acted out of faith. That tells me that it took an incredible amount of faith and it does say parents, so it's referring to both Jochebed and Amron, but scripture points to Jochebed being the one who put Moses in a basket after being the one that hid him for three months, placing him in that basket made of bulrushes in the reeds on the Nile River. And then later he's found by Pharaoh's daughter and that whole story that we talked about. So the verses continue after that in 24 through 29 saying, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And it continues to say, later by faith, he forsook Egypt and through faith, he kept the Passover and by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land with the Egyptians a saying to do were drowned. So it continues that same faith and this word for faith here in this particular verse of scripture is pistis and the outline biblical usage for it is conviction of truth of anything belief in the new testament it's kind of meaning a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to god and divine things um, generally including the idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith joined with so it's relating to god the conviction that god exists and is the creator and ruler of all things the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through christ so this faith is an obvious trait that carries through those verses and throughout Moses' life, the faith that his parents, that Jochebed, his mother, displayed.
afraid over fear her faith in god over fear touched her son's life even though he grew up with an adopted mother of sorts his birth mother's faith still played an important role and had an effect on his life and on the lives of an entire nation chosen by god so for me it really causes me to pause (laughs) and think and consider the importance of obeying god doesn't it doesn't it cause you to think about that imagine if jacobed had gone a different route had chosen to not act out of faith had chosen to not place moses in the basket (laughs) things would have been so different right so that word for faith that that word pistis it's um it's a greek word so it comes from the greek and then we talked a little bit about how pharaoh's heart was hardening versus god hardening it and i did find two types i had very little time to study this but (laughs) i did a little bit of research and here's what i found so the first type is found 15 times in the book of exodus it's strong's h 2388 and strong's h means it's a hebrew word versus strong's g would be greek so this word is strong's h 2388 it's mostly referencing when god hardened pharaoh's heart this particular translation i am probably going to slaughter the pronunciation but i think it's hazach and it's outlined (laughs) to strengthen prevail harden be strong become strong firm resolute and to be sore and so it's kind of like it's becoming harder it's becoming stronger and so this is mostly referencing, as I said, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So it's kind of like, okay, you're set in your way. And there's a few times where Pharaoh, when he's hardening his own heart, it also uses this word. So it's kind of interchanging them a little bit. The other one is Chabad. And again, I probably slaughtered the sound of that. But if you really want to know what it sounds like, you can go and take a peek at the Blue Letter Bible and look up these verses and you can hear somebody that actually knows how to pronounce them all properly (laughs) or go talk to my dad. (laughs) But it is found 10 times it's Strong's H3513, in case you do want to look that up and you have that app. It's found 10 times in Exodus, and it's approximately half referencing God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and the other half approximately referencing Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So they're kind of interchanging. One Greek translation of hardening doesn't just stick with God. It's not just being used for when God hardens his heart. They're interchanging. So some of the time it means to strengthen or be hardened, to grow firmer. The other meaning, this one that's found only 10 times, Strong's H3513, where it's half used by God and half Pharaoh hardening his own heart. It's, it means to be heavy, to be weighty, grievous. And then it's also used in some of the verses when it's referencing God's victory and it's using the same Hebrew word in Exodus 14, 18, when it's saying, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor. That word honor is that Strong's word. Honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And so in this sense, it's to honor oneself. And it's rightly so if it's God, but not rightly so if it's Pharaoh. So here it's like glorious to be rich. And so instead of being heavy and burdened and dull, like this word typically means for how Pharaoh's heart must have been, to become insensible is another meaning. And this is probably where the advisor started doubting Pharaoh (laughs) when he was not making any sense at all. And very dull, very heavy, very burdened, not looking like a leader, grievous. The other meaning of this word would have been Exodus 14, 18, when the Lord has gotten honor, to honor oneself. God certainly has the right to honor self. So those are the two different, you know, there might be some more in there, but that those are the two different versions that I found. <laughs> so I'm happy to share those with you. I may or may not have those in the show notes. Somebody can give me some feedback if any of the things I'm posting in the show notes is helpful, any of the scripture references, any of the Greek or 
Hebrew definitions or words for some of these words that we're studying in the Bible. And then, like I said, the breakdown of Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 through 7, the Greek or Hebrew meanings of each of God's character traits from those verses, especially verse 6, will be coming up on the next episode, number 14 on the Well for Goodness Sake podcast on the episode about understanding the character of God. All right, so we are ready to dive into the book of Leviticus. So as I mentioned, this is the third book of the Pentateuch. And like I said, my goodness, if you've read this, God bless. It was a tough read. (laughs) But as always, we are going to start with something super encouraging. So I'm going to start by reading from Jennifer Rothschild's book, 66 Ways God Loves Me. And we are now in the chapter where she talks about the book of Leviticus. So here is what she has to say. In Leviticus, God grants me access to him. She says, God loves you so much that he made a way for you to come to him, know him, and love him. Yet true access to God demands a true understanding of him. So God gave us Leviticus. In Leviticus, God drew his people to know him as he really is, pure and holy. He loved them too much to let them settle for a false God or reduction of his holy character. God devised ways for his people to experience a holy relationship with him. He gave them rules. The rules weren't a way to earn a relationship with him. Rather, they were to guide the Israelites' relationship with him. The rules kept their hearts focused on the true God and brought them security. Just as a loving parent provides protective boundaries for her child, God provides rules for us, his children. But it isn't following the rules and staying in the boundaries that wins God's favor. We already have his favor because we have his son, Jesus. Because God loves us, he lets us know what is expected. He gives us rules and boundaries so we can approach him with faith and purity. He gives us his commandments and his commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. Because God loves you, he made a way for you to come to him through his son, Jesus. And he also gives you rules so you can enjoy your best life with him. But don't let the rules trip you up. God uses them as guardrails to keep you walking with and toward him. And don't let any rules from God become a substitute for your relationship with God. This is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Leviticus 9, 6. God wants you to come to him, know him, and be with him because he loves you. He promises, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Leviticus 26, 12. Thank him today for being a loving father who values you enough to show you the way to walk with him and ask him to draw you to purity in your relationship with him. So the truth from that chapter is that God grants us access to him from J.R.'s book. And the key verse there is Leviticus 26, 12. I'm pulling one of her references. And I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. That's the truth about God's love. He grants access and he tells them that he will walk among them and will walk among us. So now we're going to take this one step further, just like we do every week. The book of Leviticus. Yay. All right. This took me, I don't know. I want to say I've been working on this for two and a half weeks now. (laughs) It's been very interesting. My key passage is going to be Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves and be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 45. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy. For I am holy. The key truth for today, the second key truth, as I take you a step further, is that God is holy. This is a huge key throughout the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is kind of like this book to see if it actually works. It's this thing that we're observing to see if it works. Just like JR says, we get access to God. There's so much about God's holiness and purity that he is life. So key truths here are is God is holy. God is the way to life out of death, to pure out of impurity. God is the provider. He provides the access, like JR says, to God, but he also provides the way to God, the way to get to God, and then the continued way to walk and coexist alongside of God. 
God. God calls. He provides the calling that sets you apart, that sets us apart. He calls us as believers, as Christians, to walk purely into life out of death, sin, and darkness. So a little introduction to the book of Leviticus is that it's a guidebook for the redeemed people, right? Exodus ended with Moses unable to enter the tabernacle because of the deeply damaged relationship severed time and time again by the nation of Israel disobeying God and being defiant to God's law, breaking the commitment to the covenant that they had just made with him at Mount Sinai. So it's this redeeming book that provides the chosen nation with a way to live holy lives before God, following redemption, following deliverance in the previous book, Exodus. This is where God provides the way through a sacrificial system and the priesthood, which both are equally as important. And again, it's important to remember that all of this is prior to the coming of Christ. And so as we're reading through the Old Testament in books like this, details that can bear you down where you can't believe you're reading a book that makes no sense (laughs) on the surface, um, it's important to understand and what he brings to the world in a new way much later through Christ in the New Testament. It's important to weigh those against each other when you're reading this book. But there needed to be a way here for the nation. There had to be a way to coexist with a holy God, a sinful nation to walk alongside God. So essentially, this is a sanctification as much as it is a service and obedience book where the people are taught to live morally and purely before a holy God. So Leviticus is divided into two main focal points and it takes place for one month at Mount Sinai. And the two piece, those two important factors are the two focal points are sacrifice chapters 1 through 17 and the other half is sanctification chapters 18 through 27. I'm going to pull these key concepts for you again. The key idea for this book is worship, right? Because of holiness. Worship, the nation is set apart. The people are being taught. God's character is holy. God's role is the sanctifier and God's command this time is be holy. So as always, I give you some timeline key verses and yes, I will go ahead and put these in the show notes. I just have to figure out how many Greek and Hebrew words and translations to put there because I don't want to bore you guys. But timeline key verses. Sacrifice is broken down into one, two, three, four parts. Sacrifice is chapter one, verse one through chapter 17, verse 16. Laws of acceptable approach to God is chapter one, verse one through chapter seven, verse 38. Laws of priests, chapter eight, verse one through chapter 10, verse 20. Laws of Israel regarding purity, chapter 11, verse one through chapter 15 verse 33 and laws of national atonement chapter 16 verse 1 through chapter 17 verse 16 all of those verses are on sacrifice sanctification you ready chapter 18 verse 1 through chapter 27 verse 34 so the laws of sanctification for the people starts in chapter 18 verse 1 through chapter 20 verse 27 laws of sanctification for the priesthood is chapter 21 verse 1 through chapter 22 verse 33 laws of sanctification in the land of Canaan is chapter 25 verse 1 through chapter 26 verse 46 and laws of sanctification through vows chapter 27 verse 1 through chapter 27 verse 30. So sacrifice has four parts. Sanctification has five as far as the timeline references. So be sure to check out the show notes because I will list those there. Now I want to go back to the main theme or purpose of this book which is holiness and that's chapter 11 verse 45 and chapter 19 verse 2. Those are the two key verses for holiness. Holiness 
Jesus teaches, you know, the appropriate way to approach a holy God. It teaches that the way to approach God is through sacrifice and meditation, that of a priest or priestly meditation. And holiness teaches the only way to enter the presence of a holy God is through obedience and sanctification first. You've got the Old Testament, what that looks like here in the book of Leviticus, where they've got all these things they have to do in order to become sanctified through obedience to God, in order to become pure from impurity, in order to enter the presence of God and coexist versus the New Testament where Jesus Christ act on the cross has completed that for us. And we now have direct access to God. We don't have to have Moses or priests as mediators between us and God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this is where the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus is referencing through sanctification processes, through practices, through the priesthood, through the seven feasts, through the day of atonement, which we'll get into a little bit later, all preparing us for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Worship and code of law for living and coexisting with God Almighty from the Israelites impure and imperfect condition is going to be found here in the book of Leviticus. For us, it's following the truth, right? From the coming Messiah. It's following the truth now of Jesus Christ, just like we talked about. We have a guidebook just like they did or a blueprint. They had blueprint for the tabernacle. They had a guidebook in the commandments. So just as the Israelites had that covenant, we have the Bible, which equals the word of God, which equals the scriptures, right? A little breakdown. Genesis, man was ruined. Israel was born. Exodus, people are redeemed. Israel's delivered. Leviticus, people are cleansed. Israel is consecrated to serve a holy God. So the key to the book of Leviticus is understanding a holy God and holiness. So those verses again are chapter 16, verse 30. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Chapter 17, verse 11 says, for on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And then finally, chapter 20, verse 7 through 8, sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy for I, the Lord, your God, for I am the Lord, your God, and you shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord, which sanctifies you. The key chapter um, is chapter 16, because it's about the day of atonement, which is Yom Kippur. And it's the single most important day on the Hebrew calendar. The only day the high priest entered the Holy of Holies to make atonement for you, to cleanse you and make you clean before God of all of your sins. And that's chapter 16, verse 30. If you want to take a look at that verse again, and that's the first one that we read. A little bit later in the episode, I'm going to give you the definition and the meaning, the Greek or Hebrew definition for the word holy from our key verse. Christ is evident in the book of Leviticus. This book is full of, I don't know that I would call it messianic prophecies, but it's full again of just like in Exodus, it's full of types and works of Jesus Christ. So the five offerings remind us of Christ's offering of his total self to God in submission to his will. The meal offering signifies the sinless service of Jesus Christ through God the Father. The peace offering is significant of the fellowship that believers are able to access with God following the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The sin offering typifies Jesus Christ as the guilt bearer. The trespass offering signifies Christ's payment for the damage that sin actually creates. And then we've got the high priest. So Aaron is the first high priest and there's several references that compare and contrast Aaron, the first high priest, to Jesus Christ, the eternal high priest. And then we have the seven feasts. So the Passover signifies the substitution sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And it's also the day that Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus dies on the day of Passover. Unleavened bread signifies the holy walk of the believer. And of unleavened bread is basically what I make here at the house. If you've never Googled <laughs> unleavened bread, and you can also definitely blue letter Bible or look up the Greek or Hebrew for unleavened <laughs> from scripture. But unleavened bread is basically making that healthier version of bread without adding all of the man-made 
yeasts and rising ingredients that also cause inflammation in the body. And research has been done to prove that. And so what I end up making is virtually a gluten-free unleavened bread where it is the either gluten-free flour, salt and water, or a whole grain flour, salt and water. And those are the only ingredients I use. And the process of creating an unleavened bread is allowing the bread to ferment on the counter by itself, grow its own little animal (laughs) without messing with it. And the more it does it by itself, the less you manipulate it, the healthier it is. And the more gluten is pulled from it if you're using a gluten flour. And of course, if you use gluten-free, then it's completely gluten-free and definitely unleavened. So just a little side note there, (laughs) but unleavened bread signifies the holy walk of the believer. So something fun to think about every single time you eat a piece of bread. (laughs) First fruits signify Christ's resurrection from death and the grave as the first fruits for believers in his death and sacrifice for us. And then Pentecost signifies the descent of the Holy Spirit after the ascent of Jesus Christ following his rising from the grave. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacle all signify association with the second advent of Christ. So Leviticus, guys, it's a super hard read. (laughs) You may get in the middle of it and be like, why am I reading this? God is not speaking to me. Some people find it too boring to get through it. And you know, if you're like me, you've probably found something empty, empty of sustenance even, As you've been reading through the Bible and maybe you felt like God was just not speaking to you because you were in something that was so dry or whatever you were going through, you didn't connect. It is heavy. It's full of rules. It's full of laws. It's got specific details. It's overbearing for our mind at first glance. It's sort of reminiscent to the tabernacle and the blueprint in Exodus that we went through um, with all those details, except it's worse in many ways because in Leviticus, it's all about death and cleansing from these infections and diseases and sin and these gross things. (laughs) It feels difficult, you know, for believers of today to apply it. But in reality, it's so rich in spiritual truth. Is God saying to go out and kill your pet goat right now and make a sacrifice? No. Why? Old Testament law applies spiritually, but since the coming of Christ, the way looks a little bit different for us now, post the cross, post Calvary, than the way looked or had to be for the Israelites back in the wilderness pre the Messiah. The pardon from guilt and sin followed by the way fellowshipping in the presence of God. It's still applies to us. We should cleanse our hearts through prayer and confession. We should seek God, holy God. We should study his word, pray to understand more about his will and way for us. But the truth of accepting God and his grace and mercy, a death substitute on our behalf as a substitute for payment for the penalty of sins remains exactly the same. The difference is that for us today, it's just gotten a little bit easier. We don't have to slaughter animals and follow rigorous laws step by step. We simply accept the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf and then do our best to walk with God. God made it easy easier for us all these years later after the Israelites in the wilderness. So, you know, I like to study Wilkinson and Bowes talk through the Bible. So I'm going to paraphrase this, but they basically said that it has been suggested that it took God only one night to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And then it took 40 something years, they say, to get Egypt out of the Israelites. So this is why there had to be such a crazy system, you know, first with sacrifice, then with sanctification in order to coexist and have fellowship with a holy God. It was absolutely necessary because of sin, because of humanity, humankind, absolutely necessary to remove the sin and the defilement first that separates man from God and God from man in order to be able to walk in fellowship with our Redeemer. So as I finally got through the heaviness of Leviticus, I am so grateful for Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for God creating this way, not just this access that JR talks about, but this way to find him and this way to continue walking with him so that I can have fellowship with the same unchanging, 
all true God and that he's covered those rituals for us now. Those substitute sacrifices, those tedious and necessary drills and laws to remove sin and sanctify me in order to have fellowship with a holy God. He's done all of that. That's a finished work through Jesus Christ. It can't get much easier than that. What are we doing, right? I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. That's probably one of the biggest takeaways I have from this book is just feeling so grateful to God that he is unchanging, that he is a holy, unchanging God of love and mercy, a holy God that deserves our praise. And I'm so grateful for his son, Jesus Christ, making that way. I'm so glad I don't have to go out and kill a goat and, you know, transfer, have the high priest transfer my sins onto an animal that goes and wanders out into the wilderness and I'm set free and now I can enter the presence of God. I'm so, those things were necessary and I'm not mocking them, but it's definitely tedious and it's, there's so many details to follow and it was necessary for the Israelites at that time to have to follow those rules explicitly or else. But I'm so grateful for God sending Jesus Christ as a finished work. He becomes the sacrifice. He is the mediator between us and God. He's the one that paved the way because of his full surrender and obedience to God's will for his life. Jesus, the son of God, made the way. It has never been more clear to me, as I've mentioned before in some of the other episodes, it's never been more clear to me that God is the way, that Jesus Christ is the answer, that we are only here on this planet temporarily and that eternity is for real and forever. If you have not sought Jesus Christ in a personal relationship, it doesn't mean your physical life here on earth is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all the things and have all the money. It means that God is going to come and dwell in your heart in the manner of the Holy Spirit. It means that you are going to be given a supernatural peace through the, the worst storms, through the fire. He's the one that's going to hold your hand because we're all going to go through fire. It means eternity with God after life on earth. If you haven't ever heard about Jesus Christ, I will hold your hand. <laughs> I will talk to you about Jesus. I will talk to you about my Jesus that I love. So just remember that all of this kind of took place at Mount Sinai. It's approximately a month. The entire book of Leviticus, the hardest read of all, is like during one of the shortest time frames. It's kind of hilarious, but just kind of, I want to do a quick little walkthrough of the story so we can remember the details. You have Exodus of Israel from Egypt, right? The covenant at Mount Sinai, the covenant broken, and then Moses can't enter the tabernacle, right? So that's how we end in the book of Exodus. Like, oh, Moses can't get in. Leviticus opens with the same problem. In chapter one, verse one, it says that the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. That's NIV and CSB versions. The Lord also, it says the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of congregation saying, so he's in the tabernacle, God's in the tabernacle, Moses is outside. <laughs> so it opens with God speaking to Moses from inside the tent and Moses is outside because he can't go in, right? So the opening question here is like, how can Israel, in spite of sin and selfish desire, autonomy, be reconciled or redeemed again by a holy God? And so he, we're going to run through real quick and see if the book of Leviticus works. Like we're going to go from start to finish, how God creates the way for sinful and corrupt people to live in his presence and kind of break it down a little bit more detail very quickly than just knowing that he provided all these details and laws and sacrifices that had to be made as a mediator, Moses had to be there or the high priest since Moses now cannot get into the tabernacle either. So really quickly, holy. Holy means to be set apart. You're, it's unique. It's found 116 times in the King James Version, only two times in Exodus in this Hebrew transliteration. Now, again, I might slay this because I can pronounce the Greek, but Hebrew, uh, not so much. So it's chadash. Okay. I'm not going to say that one again. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it means sacred, holy, holy one, saint, set apart. So God is set apart. He's the author of life. He's the creator. God is holy. So if God's holy, that means that everything around him, the atmosphere, the space around God is holy. So this is why sinful people need to be cleansed in order to enter God's presence. Again, this is pre-Christ coming, right? We don't have to be cleansed before we enter God's presence. We can come just as we are. That's what Christ did for us. What do you imagine to be in God's space? If you think about it, if you just pause and think about it, what do you imagine to be in a holy God's space, knowing that it means set apart, holy one, sacred, saint? When you think of a saint, what does that tell you about God, right? Purity, holiness, goodness, justice, love, peace, joy, goodness, perfection. Can you picture entering that space right now just as you are? Thank God for Jesus, right? There are three main ways that God helps Israel to live in his presence. And it's kind of interesting because Leviticus kind of jumps around symmetrically putting things together. So first you have the rituals Israel had to practice. There's two outer sections. And then secondly, you've got these two intersections of Israel's roles as priests that are mediators between God and Israel. And then the third section that's kind of stuck in the middle of these other two sections is Israel's purity. Right in the center of the book, chapter 16 and 17, you've got the Day of Atonement, that big day, right? That Ram Kippur. Right in the center of the book of Leviticus. And this kind of brings the whole book and all the sections together. And then at the very end, the book ends with a small section where Moses calls the people to remain faithful again to all this stuff, like to all this new stuff. So let's start with chapters one through seven. The first section, chapters one through seven, there's five main types of ritual sacrifice, right? So remember rituals are first. Israel had to practice them. So again, the book kind of jumps around symmetrically putting things together. So there's a couple times where these sections jump across chapters and jump backwards to connect them. And I'll try my best to let you know when that's happening. But the first of the ritual sacrifices was grain and fellowship. Those are the first two, grain and fellowship offerings, which basically said thank you. This was a way of offering back to God symbolic tokens of what God had first given to them. So it's a, a grain and fellowship offering were offered as a thank you. Then you had burnt purification and restitution offerings. Those were the other three types. So there's your the burnt purification and restitution offerings were three different ways to say sorry. And Israelites would offer up an animal blood sacrifice. Instead of God punishing or sending death to the sinful man, he accepted the animal as a sacrifice on behalf of humanity. Now we jump to chapters 8 through 10 and simultaneously or symmetrically chapters 21 through 25 for the second section, which is the seven main types of ritual feasts. So again, we have rituals, Israel's roles as priests, Israel's purity, day of atonement, and then the end of the book. So the seven types of ritual feasts, each of these were a different type of feast that represented a different part of the story of how God redeemed them and brought them through the wilderness to the promised land. By celebrating these feasts on a regular basis, Israel is connected to God and reminded of his holiness and faithfulness for them and through them. But also Israel is reminded of who they are versus who God is or who God is for them. So you have the Passover, unleavened bread, which we talked about, first fruits, weeks at Pentecost, trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles. The chapters 8 through 10, priests ordained. Again, Aaron was the first ordained priest and then his sons. And why does holiness matter so much? Well, two of Aaron's sons blatantly defile God. They, they violate his presence, violating his holiness in the tabernacle, and they're consumed by God's holiness right there in that moment, right off their feet, right on the spot. <laughs> and I had to look up this word consumed, even though I have a general understanding of the word consume, like consuming food, consuming this. The word consumed means literally devoured, eaten, or burned by flame. This Hebrew word, achal, I think, again, I've just 
butcher Hebrew, so forgive. <laughs> they, forgive me. But it's to devour, consume, destroy, burn up, feed, to eat human beast or birds. So basically, that in that moment when they defiled God blatantly, boom, they were just devoured up. It doesn't necessarily specify whether it was flame, but they were eaten by something and it was fast. <laughs> and they were gone. So holiness, it's huge. It is pure and holy, but becomes dangerous to those who rebel against God's holiness. It's important that Israel's priests become holy first. That's why his sons, who were his Aaron's sons, who were priests after him, boom, you know, consumed when they defiled God's holiness. Did all of Israel become holy? And this is what the next sections on purity are all about. So jumping over to chapters 21, verse 20, chapter 21 through 22, the qualifications for priests are the matching sections to the priests that were ordained. Aaron and his sons were the first ones. Um, the qualifications for priests are that they were called to the highest level of moral integrity and ritual holiness. They had to represent the people before a holy God. But you know what's even more important? They also had to represent God, a holy God to the people. So there was no messing around. You don't go in there and defile God like Aaron's sons did. God can't let that go unpunished. Um, the third section, there are three main areas of purity. So you have the fact that God's presence was off limit for unclean people or those in a state of not being made holy. Impurity equals unclean or impure, which equals death, represents death. Purity equals clean or pure, which represents life. And God's essence represents life, right? He's the creator of all life. He's always been. Here's the key, okay? Don't let this go unnoticed. Becoming unclean by some of these details in the verses like touching mold or a dead body, this is part of everyday life. So that's not what brought the death. It's not what brought that death of purity. It was prancing into God's presence in that unclean state like Aaron's sons did. Because if you did that before becoming pure, you were in rebellion to God and his holiness. So this is why there was a way provided by God to get pure, to be sanctified in order to be able to enter his presence. This is so important because it could be taken way out of context. So chapters 11 through 15 are rituals for purity. These are some of the things that made people impure. Contact with reproductive fluids, having a skin disease, touching molds, like I mentioned, touching dead bodies, eating impure animals, and God had his reasons. The main thing here is that God instructed them not to eat specific animals and it was associated with mortality and loss of life if you disobeyed these things. The Day of Atonement is that big event once a year. It's one of the longest feasts that took place each year. High priest took two goats. <laughs> one was for purification and offering. It was atoning for Israel's sins. And then there was one that they called a scapegoat. And this is where the priest would confess the sins of the people and symbolically, not physically, right? We're not going magic here. Symbolically place them on the goat in obedience to God. And then the goat was cast into the wilderness and God accepted that. And it was a symbol of God's removal of sin from Israel. It's all about obedience. It's not about practicing some weird magic or witchcraft. It was about obeying God before the coming of Christ. God had to create a way and this was the way. And then finally, moral purity. Israelites, they had to live differently. They were instructed to live differently than the Canaanites. God's holiness was to affect all areas of their life, meaning they needed to care for the poor rather than overlook them, have the highest level of sexual integrity, practice social justice throughout the entire land. And so they had to remain pure. And again, all of this has a purpose and it just boils down to obeying a holy God and allowing God to bring life from death, God to bring purity from impurity in order to access fellowship with holy God as impure, sinful people. And then chapters 26 through 27, the book ends in this section and they're called to a covenant of faithfulness. Obedience equals peace and abundance in the land, essentially, while unfaithfulness was basically a disaster and exile from the land. <laughs> the book of Leviticus works because Exodus ended, right? We already talked about it. Exodus ends with God speaking to Moses, who's unable to enter. He's outside the tent of meeting and God's talking to him from within the tent. The next book after Leviticus, Numbers, opens with Moses inside the tabernacle 
tabernacle within the tent of meeting while speaking with God. So in Numbers chapter one, verse one, it says the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent. So now Moses is able to enter the tabernacle and God is able to live with the people in peace because God provided the way. So Leviticus does work. Yay. Not that we doubted, right? But isn't it cool to see how God just pulled everything together. And when people walk in obedience, you know, you get to see the result of that. And then when people defile God's holiness, there's, you get to see the devastation of disobedience. You get to see the act of consequence, the act of punishment for sin. Sin cannot be unpunished. It can't go unpunished. So as we reflect, I said, we've all got, I I think I say this every 66 days, we've all got our favorite stories or even our favorite bedtime stories for kids. What is your favorite truth that you know to be true about God today? What is that truth? And then reflect on that and praise God for that today because he is holy and worthy of praise and attention. He's worthy because he is God. He's worthy because he has always been because he's unchanging and faithful. But then there's so many things on top of that that we can choose to say thank you for. And on the heels of Thanksgiving that we just celebrated, a lot of us with our family and friends last week, there's so many things to thank God for, including his son, Jesus Christ, and making that way so that we can have fellowship with God today and for covering all of those necessary sanctification processes is where all we have to do is come before Almighty God who's already cleansed us and healed us and forgiven us of our transgression. Get in the presence of Almighty God today. All right, so again, the key verse from JR's book is Leviticus 26, verse 12, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. And that key truth there was that God grants us access to him. And then our verse from our study, taking it a step further, was Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 45, for I am the Lord that brings Bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And again, our key point of focus, there were so many of them. <laughs> what is true? I always like to talk about what is true. What's true about our focal points from Leviticus? Well, God is holy. God is a holy God. God is the way to life from death. God is the provider. He provides the way to God, which is where JR is talking about giving access of himself to us. And then you've got that Old Testament version where they needed mediators and and access look different versus New Testament, Christ coming, and our full access granted 24-7. God never takes a break. He's always available. He's there in every moment of your life. He's there in the tears. He's there in the joy. You're not alone. So that's another truth about God. And then God provides that continued way to walk with him, a continued lifestyle of walking with a holy father. He shows us what that looks like. And then God calls. He provides the calling that sets us apart. Being set apart has a whole dynamic that's important. Just like the Israelites were set apart to live differently than the Canaanites, we are set apart as believers. It's important to understand that comparison from scripture and not try to live by the letter of the law, but to understand the purpose of us having access to the letter today. God loves us enough to not let us wander into bad ways without consequences, right? We always hear stories or personally experience at some point during maybe our adolescence wishing our parents would just leave us alone for a minute, (laughs) let us make our own choices. Stop making us feel like we're, you know, hurting them or disappointing them, right? Am I right? Did you ever feel that? Do you have children that are of that age that have made you think that they're feeling that way or, you know, display that they feel that way? I once heard a story of a girl who said something completely different and it was something like, I wish my dad had loved me enough to set some boundaries for me or to say no once in a while because he just let her do whatever she wanted and she wandered into so many destructive things due to having zero guidance. Their relationship became estranged and she never felt he cared about 
about what happened to her. And thank God we don't have that kind of father today. Thank God he cares enough to set boundaries that help keep us walking on that path that he designed for us. Next time on 66 Days, the book of Numbers. Remember, verse 1 of chapter 1 begins with God speaking to Moses inside the tent of meeting within that tabernacle. And I don't know about you, listener, but my goodness, I want to be inside the tent of meeting. I want to be that close to God. I don't want to be distancing myself, coming up with my own plan, thinking with my feelings, or worrying more about disappointing other people than I am about disappointing the heart of God. I don't want to be more concerned about offending people around me, although I do love and care about them more than I care about offending a holy God. I want to be right there in his presence. I don't want to be outside the tent. I want to be inside the tent. (laughs) And I want to be able to connect with him. I want to live a life that is walking fully for him, fully alongside of him, fully committed. And I hope and pray that for you as well. I want to end by saying thank you so much for putting up with me again. (laughs) This is probably technically six pregnancy for us, but third baby on the way. And it does create some chaos with morning sickness and a little one that is still up during the night. It has been crazy. I actually recorded most of this earlier in the week and then a full four days went by before I was able to finish processing some of the information (laughs) and doing some editing. So thank you so much for your patience. Thank you for your support. Um, I'm so glad that this is a blessing to your life. It's such a blessing to study scripture and I love chatting with some of you online through email, sometimes messaging. I'm so glad that this is a blessing for your life because it's definitely a blessing for me. I've learned so much as I've had to search and pull things to make sure you had (laughs) the right definitions and the right answers. I will probably post some of the Hebrew words, especially in the show notes. So be sure to check all of that out. I always have those key verses of scripture from the podcast episode, and I'll make sure to put the Hebrew this time because I probably butchered most of the Hebrew pronunciation. That way you can see it in front of you and have a chance to look it up on Blue Letter Bible or an other source if you have that, something that works for you to study the Bible. So thank you again. I love you guys. You're always on my heart. There's so many of you that reach out and chat from time to time. Definitely keep us in your prayers. Um, I'm excited that you got to be some of the first people that knew about the pregnancy. (laughs) And um, like I said, it's very early. So we will, we're excited. We're so excited about it, but we're not quite ready to just tell the whole entire world about it until we make sure that everything is going well. But thank you for your prayers. Most of you listening that know us, we also know you pray for us. So we, we love that. We thank you for that. And we love you. So I'm going to close by praying for all of you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just such a great, encouraging lesson from such a difficult chapter to read. <laughs> I probably complained too much about how hard it was to get through the book of Leviticus, but thank you so much for the truth that's there, the incredible information, the incredible compare and contrast on how to worship a holy God. Thank you for access to you. Thank you for showing us the way, for being the way, and then continuing to provide one-on-one connection, relationship, fellowship with you, holy God. I pray for the listeners today that they were blessed. They waited such a long time to have this book of the Bible. Thank you for the third book of the Bible. Thank you for them. Encourage their hearts. Speak to them. They're not alone. I'm not alone. Your truth stands strong. You are holy. You are compassionate. You are loving. You love us enough to save us from our sinful selves if need be. Thank you for setting boundaries for us so that we can learn to better ourselves in your sight as we learn what it means to walk alongside of such an incredible and holy father. We love you and it's all because of you. Amen.
All right, everybody. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode on the Well for Goodness Sake podcast. This is Joe. I'm about to sign off, but I just want to thank you again for joining us today on 66 Days Through the Bible Books. We are going to be jumping into Numbers next, the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book of the Bible and the fourth book of the Pentateuch. I'm excited to get that going with you. Be sure to check out the show notes. I'm going to have a bunch of awesome stuff listed there. It's a great way to stay connected. All the links to podcasts and social media platforms are there to stay connected with me. I love hearing back from you. Thank you for leaving reviews. Thank you for reaching out through email and social media messaging. (laughs) I love hearing from you. I love knowing that this is encouraging to your heart. Thanks again for joining us. And I look forward to next time on 66 Days. Stay tuned for episode number 14 on the Well For Goodness Sake podcast. It is going to be all about understanding the character of God. It sort of coexists with the whole 66 days in the book of Exodus that we covered last time. So it's going to be amazing and incredible learning more about God's heart and his love for us. I love you guys and I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Remember to think about what is true and real. God loves you so much and you're not alone.